0: Um, I'm going to be speaking as a general rule of thumb when it comes to preaching. My rule of thumb, and I believe it should be the rule of thumb, is that you should never preach anything that is not something that you actually live. Um, it's one thing to know something, even biblically. It's one thing to have a Bible study and, and your eyes can be opened and you see spiritual truth and you become excited about it you shouldn't preach those things until you've actually lived uh, through it. And, and when it integrates into your being through faith actions and it becomes part of who you are, then you can actually impart it. And that's, that's, uh, that's uh, relevant to both preaching as well as just as Christians as we share things with other people. Uh, the danger of doing the opposite, of course, is that you become a hypocrite. And if you read the Gospels, Jesus doesn't really take too kindly to hypocrites uh, who lay burdens on people, but don't lift a finger to do what, the very thing that they teach themselves. Uh, today, however, we're doing a little something a little different in that um, I feel as though I'm sharing out of what God is doing in me, um, if that makes sense. So you're about to hear a window into my soul of how God is stretching and challenging me, and it's, so it's certainly not to say that I don't live to any degree in the things that we're talking about. I certainly... Have um, not to boast, but I mean, I, I. But on the other hand, I'm wanting to say this is something that I'm feeling led in, and I feel specifically that as a local church, what what we're about to talk about is relevant to us moving forward as a church. So come with me on this journey, being a church that does what Jesus does. Specifically today, about seeing and doing. So Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father do. I only do what I see my Father do. That's very interesting because clearly Jesus was not looking up into the sky and seeing God the Father do something with his eyes, right? He was seeing God with the eyes of his heart. And that principle relates to every believer, that we see Through the eyes of our heart, the Holy Spirit begins to show us things that God is doing. And what God is looking for is for people on the earth, the church, to see what heaven is up to and to be crazy enough to actually receive it, believe it, and if you really believe, let's remember, then we take action steps. We live as though we actually believe what we've seen. Is that making sense? The Bible says faith without works is dead. And so this is what we're talking about. Uh, Being a church, doing what Jesus is doing, seeing what he's doing, and then doing it. So some of us in the church this past week had the privilege of going to a conference on Tuesday night up in Troy, Michigan. Uh, Sean Bowles, who is an internationally recognized kind of prophetic voice, incredibly gifted and humble and full of love and amazing guy and uh, we, how many of you were there? It was nothing short of like genuinely miraculous. I woke up the next morning, I don't think I really digested in the moment what we had seen in the way of like these words of knowledge that he had for people that were like unbelievable and that, I mean it's just, I can't even go into the details. I woke up the next morning like with the the reality of what I experienced the the night before, like oh my gosh. Like God, you are like really real. (laughs) Whoa, that was crazy. All of those incredible things that we saw, you know what was the most important thing that I walked away from that evening with? It, w- it was what the Lord spoke to me in my heart during worship. And in that place, I was just in this kind of aware of, God, this thing needs to budge, and this thing, and oh, you know, and we're just challenged on this side and this side, and God, I've followed you here in obedience, and just kind of feeling in my heart the desire for God to like shift and change these situations. And I felt God so clearly say to me, you believe what I'm saying about those situations and find out what I'm leading you to do. I, you are my vessel to see the change. Now, I, I, now the, there are some times where God says, like, you know, be still and know that I'm God and don't put your hand on it and I'm going to do it. If he says to you to, to approach things that way, then that's a different story. Generally speaking... What needs to happen in the earth, God wants to show a man or a woman and get them to believe, and they become the vessel through whom the change comes. That makes sense. Our faith has the power to change this material world, just as it was in the case of Jesus. And so I just felt like, God, you know, this thing of, of like, you know, I've followed you, I've done everything that I know to do in obedience, and you've got to change this. And the Lord's saying, What specifically are you trusting me for? And what are you stepping into in that trust? What actions are you taking? And and I wrote this down. My reality is shaped. My reality, my circumstances, what I'm seeing around me is shaped by what I believe, what I'm asking for, and what I'm pursuing. And this, my friends, is the difference between a wilderness mentality and a promised land mentality. There is a need for a wilderness. God takes you out of Egypt he, he, sh- he teaches you some things in a difficult season where you learn to trust only in God and where there's some difficulties and trials and tests and where God's the one who's doing everything, you're just following him. But then there comes a time, and we believed even at the beginning of this year that God was speaking to us as a church about it's now promised land. We're crossing over a Jordan. And there's a shift that happens in that season, and it's no longer just following this cloud of fire and this pillar of smoke. It's about knowing what God has said and taking the ground that he's given to us. And we, in a sense, take the initiative. We're not waiting on everything for God to lead us by the hand every step of the way. We're doing what he said to do and taking it with authority and with confidence that he's with us. Right? And so to discern that, not that God can't at any point say, hey, don't go this way, go this way. But we're, he's already spoken. And we do what he said to do. And so... I've got two questions for us as we get started. One is for us to ask ourselves, you can ask yourself certainly as an individual, even us collectively as a church, what has got to budge? What's that thing that's got to budge? I almost want to say, what's the Goliath? That thing, if you know the story of Goliath, David the shepherd boy, The armies of of Israel are all kind of held in a place of not being able to move forward because there's this giant called Goliath who's standing up there taunting the armies of Israel and something has to budge because he has immobilized God's people. Goliath. What's your Goliath? It's that thing that's just like, oh, that we in our spirituality are saying, God's got to take that down for me. By the way, who took that giant down. Wasn't God and his sovereignty. He needed a man to say, I believe. To have that thing inside of them that say, this is not the will of God, and we have God with us. And speaking to that thing. What's your Goliath that needs to budge? And number two, I'm preaching the message, and I'm just supposed to be laying foundation first. And number two is what impossible faith step is he leading you into? As we follow Jesus, he leads us into things that that are going to be way, way the heck beyond us and ourselves, way beyond our comfort zones. And the more mature your relationship with him becomes, the more you're going to become aware of that. that He's putting things in your heart that maybe don't make sense, that maybe you don't have resource for. What is that... that, uh, that impossible faith step that he's leading into. And let's start with this. So we're talking about seeing and doing. Seeing is where the faith comes from. When you see what Jesus is up to through your relationship with him, faith is born in your heart that that thing is the will of God. And there's something in you that begins to believe, maybe I can do that. But then there's the doing of it. It's one thing to be excited because we see the will of God and, and we believe it and we can talk about it in home group and we believe this and this is what we think. It's a whole other thing to actually take a step that lines up with that belief. And usually it's the first, the first step that is like overcoming inertia and feels like the most like you're jumping off that El Capitan in Yosemite, like, ah! and then you see him catch you. You follow what I'm saying? So, faith is where we get the, I mean, seeing is where we get the faith from, but then the doing is the action part. Faith is an inner witness of what God has said. So if you'll look with me just to this one verse right now, Hebrews 11, verse 1, this whole, a lot of people kind of call this chapter the hall of faith, a little play on words there. Uh, the author of Hebrews goes through several people who modeled what faith is as a model for us now in the New Testament. And uh, the chapter starts off with this verse, in the first verse. I just want to take a couple ideas out of this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So just a couple points that I want to take out of that as we go into where we're going this morning. Now faith is And I know that maybe it's a little little cheesy, but it is very true that those first three words are actually relevant. Now faith is. Now faith is. I know he's just kind of saying now faith is the confidence, but now faith is. And what am I saying by that? Faith cannot be in yesterday. It's now. Faith cannot be in the future. Faith is now. Your faith will always be something right now. God is saying, what do I do with it? Faith about something yesterday, there's no relevance. You can't go back there, and you can't even do something now in the future, if you know what I'm saying. Faith requires action, and action can only happen now. Now, faith is. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and it's assurance about what we do not see. The author is saying there that we are hoping for something Where does the confidence come from that gives us the right, can I say, to hope for something? Or where do we get the assurance about something that we don't even see? Where does that come from? That is faith. Faith is a supernatural thing that happens inside of the hearts of a believer. It happens for the first time, by the way, when you first become a Christian, You cannot become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, without seeing Jesus. From which, the Bible says, comes a confession out of your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see him for who he is. So, if you are a believer in Jesus, from a biblical standpoint, you already know what it's like to have faith. Faith is not mental assent in just believing ideas and facts, that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he was born of a virgin. I, believe, I believed those for 17 years and I didn't know the one that I was talking about. And I came into faith at the age of 17 when I saw him with the eyes of my heart. A Roman Catholic priest began to say stuff that made me realize I didn't actually know him. And that led to my salvation. Faith is born in your heart, but then from there, faith is born in your heart. It's like a seed. And you, from there, mature that seed, just like any other seed grows, it begins to grow. And what does it feel like and look like? It's a continual seeing more and more of this thing called the king and the kingdom of God in your heart. I saw him when I received him for the first time, but looking at it now, that was actually just like a level one superficial, I mean, it was amazing and life-transforming, but I've seen the king so much more and more over the past 20 years since I first received him. Actually, it was 23 years ago, let's be honest. Anyways. So faith is this thing that's in your belly that is an inner witness that you know something to be the will of God. How do we know something to be the will of God? It's from hearing him. Romans 10 says that uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I believe that that means hearing by the Scripture, and that also comes from a spiritual relationship where we actually hear the voice of our Father speaking into our hearts. Now, if what you say he's speaking doesn't line up with Scripture, we got a problem. But but the Holy Spirit does speak to us today, right? It's not only the memorized Scripture. It's it's a life-giving relationship where he speaks to our heart, and 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 it births faith, and it gives us assurance. Now, Let me uh, just give you an example. When we moved to South Africa, so Minda and I had been on the pastoral staff of a church in middle Georgia, and we were feeling a transition and uh, knew that something was going to be changing. We went on this trip to South Africa. Me and my typical, you know, not having a clue-ness, I went not even thinking that we were actually going to move to South Africa. I'm sure Minda was like wondering, I don't know, she had like laid that thing down because she felt for years to move to South Africa. I didn't think so, but I felt like God was opening up doors in South Africa and we were going to take a faith step to kind of like see what doors he's opening up and we'll begin to be involved in South Africa. And so I go there and uh, as I'm there, I am reading Isaiah 61. Anybody ever heard that passage of scripture before? We might have mentioned it one or two times here. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And I began to see into this scripture and, um, and I, just all these different things. I won't go into all the details, but I knew that that scripture was, I was seeing the Jesus, that, that scripture is all about the ministry of Jesus. But I was, was like, Minda, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed with this sense that here we are in Africa and we're surrounded by the poor. And I feel like God's speaking this to us, and I'm overwhelmed with this, like, desire to live in this land. Like, I, I, I almost feel like I, I can't but live here. And it just, like, overwhelmed me. And I'm not talking about emotions. I'm talking about grace operating in me to confirm and to give me confidence in what God's will was. And, uh, and so we just began to talk about it, and there was just agreement and with it also came an awareness that I can't continue living where we are, in a place called Dublin, Georgia. Um, and it's nothing against that. It was just like I could feel inside of me, it's like the chapter had closed. Like the grace was not, I just knew we were, needed to leave. And so I went back, and we had felt two times before that God was sending us here and God was sending us there, and we had talked about it with the eldership of the church. And... Um, and both times they just kind of didn't feel right about the timing. So I was kind of used to going and feeling this thing and talking to the pastors and, and it not really bearing witness. But I, I went and I, I remember just with such confidence and clarity communicating what I feel God's doing. And, um, and the uh, lead elder of the church was just like, look, I can agree with you 110%. I believe that God is sending you. And so... You know, I just kind of was like, whoa, this is like actually happening. Let me just put it into Technicolor here. This was September 2008. We then, as we were taking steps, found out that th- our potential employment in South Africa needed to happen in January 2009. You do the math. We've got to sell a home. We've got to sell two cars. We've got to sell all of our belongings. We've got to find school for our kids. And what's that? Visa. We've got to get visas. Um, yeah, work visas, not just visiting visas. we got to actually get approved through the South African Embassy to, for visas or the uh, Department of Home Affairs. And, uh, and we also don't... We've invested seven years of our life into this church. We're now ordained in this church in Georgia. We're connected to a larger group of other churches. We are known, we're celebrated, and we're going over into this nation and we don't even know what's going to happen. We don't know if we're... We don't feel like we can plant a church from day one. We feel like we need to partner with another church, but we don't have, like... We we might be starting all over, is what I'm saying. It was like a total, like, no guarantee. And then when we found out the salary that we could be offered, it was insufficient. And yet, God had said. And so we, we kept on moving everything sold. Uh, we, you know, found ourselves January 15th, 2009, landing in South Africa. And the reality is what God did from there was opened up this door. He ended up providing through this means. He, all of these things that we didn't see or know or even have any idea of before the leap of faith began to just fall in place. I'm not saying our lives were perfect or anything. But I'm saying God was so good in response to that leap of faith. That's the way it works, my friends. You follow? So, let's talk about some levels of faith, if we can put that up on the slide, if you will. Just, just to kind of make this kind of clear, you've got, at the, at the lowest level would be unbelief. This is where... My life is in my own hands. I'm the master of my own destiny. I do not believe that God has any direct involvement in my life. I'm not looking to him for help. I'm not certainly not trying to hear him or be led by him. I'm doing my own thing. That's unbelief. Then you've got weak faith. And I would say in some degree, weak faith would be something like this. Um, if this is going to happen, God's just going to have to do it. Or, or let's see what God does. It's that thing of like, I don't take any responsibility if this is going to happen, you know, like God's going to do it, which is actually usually, it's using spirituality to cloak over what is actually a fear of taking a step of faith. The ultimate end of faith, if I can just jump to the end from the beginning, is that God has a vessel on the earth that he can speak to, reveal his will to, and they believe and act on it. That's the end of faith. That's what faith looks like. If we're just looking for, oh, God's going to have to change this. God, it doesn't work that way. So you've got maturing faith, which looks like see, you're beginning to seek, you're beginning to hear, and you're beginning to act on what you're hearing. And then strong faith, of course, is a total dependence of, of one's life and one's actions on hearing God and that navigating your course. Usually, it being completely beyond yourself, outside of your comfort zones, but you've learned you cannot lead yourself. God has to, and you've got to hear him. That's faith. So, <clears throat> here's the next point. If we can just, you can take that off the wall if you want to. God uses people, and we've already said this, but, but faith requires the people element. And in fact... If you've ever thought about it this way, why did God send Jesus, the Son of God, into the earth? Why? Why didn't God just, like, come rescue us? Why did he have to come in the form of a man? Because he's chosen from the beginning to use man. He gave authority to man on the earth. He has chosen to do his will on the earth through people. And even the undoing, the paying of the penalty of sin, had to happen by a man. Faith operates through you and me the will of God is done through us so if you don't believe me let me just remind you of a few things when God wanted to build an ark and rescue kind of like all the animals in the earth and two of a kind did he like take the cedar wood and the gopher wood and just sovereignly make an ark what did he do he spoke to Noah why God could have made an ark on his own right He's God. He can do anything. He made the gopher wood. Why does he have to talk to Noah about it? He's chosen to do that. When God wanted to um, have a nation of his own in the Old Testament, create his own people called the Jewish people, couldn't he have sovereignly caused people to just, like, populate out of nowhere, out of thin air, and just, boom, the Jews are there in Israel, right? Couldn't he have just done that? but who did he speak to? Abraham. And he had to tell Abraham, you got to leave your father and your nation and your country land and go to a land that I will show you. In other words, leave everything that's comfortable, everything that you're familiar with. I'm going to do my will through you as you follow me. Because the will of God always comes through faith. When God wanted to confront Pharaoh, and the Israelites were later held in bondage in, in Egypt, did he, he could have just released Pharaoh, called Pharaoh to die or something like that, right? But he spoke to Moses. Are you catching my drift here? I'm going to keep going. <laughs> because we, we need to see the overwhelming reinforced idea throughout the scripture that God has chosen to use people and for us to stop Asking God, or God's gonna have to do this, or this kind of like idea of spirituality that where God's saying, I want you to hear me. You're my chosen vessel. I want you to hear me, and I want to do through you what I want to do, and for you to enter into being my representative on the earth. Does that sound blasphemous? Because Jesus was accused of blasphemy for saying that exact same thing. Moses, uh, Uh, Excuse me, yeah, Moses led the the children of Israel through the Red Sea. Joshua led the children of Israel to cross over the Jordan to go into the Promised Land. Obviously, he could have just caused the water to part, but it required the feet of people to step into that Jordan for God to then part the, the waters of the Jordan. Same with the Red Sea. When Goliath, as we mentioned earlier, was taunting the armies of the living God, God could have sovereignly taken Goliath down. Am I right? And yet, the shepherd boy had to go up and face Goliath. God uses people. When, when fire needed to be called down from heaven uh, to show the prophets of Baal that their God is not real and the one true God, Jehovah, is the one true God, it required who? Now, this is a little bit of a theology school kind of thing now, but yes, Elijah. There, there was a man involved who believed and stood for on the earth when no one else around was believing knew the truth and believed the truth and acted on the truth, and God acted on that. That's the way this thing works. And finally, 2,000 years ago, when the gospel was preached to the poor, miracles were being done, disciples were being made, the sick were being healed, blind eyes were opened, lame were walking, dead were being raised. It required a man named Jesus, and he still Operates the same way to do through people like Paul and John and Mickey and Tamora. So if you'll look with me to James uh, two fourteen, and we're going to read this. uh, James doesn't mince his words, by the way. If you're looking for somebody to pat you on the back and tell you you're doing well, don't read James. James chapter two, verse fourteen, and we're going to read quite a few verses here down to uh, verse twenty six. And I just want you to, as we're reading these verses, to allow these words to penetrate into your heart and to define your orientation with the way you're approaching God today and this week. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Um, Maybe if I could put actions where the word deeds are used just to make it more the way we talk, but has no actions. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. We've got plenty of that in Detroit. And if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, does that actually help the poor? But does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Verse 17, listen to this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I can have faith inside of me, which is life. It's the spirit of God, the living God inside of me, showing me his will inside of me, but it's in this material world dead. It's non-active. It doesn't have oxygen in its lungs breathing and causing life to happen as long as I don't put action to that faith. It doesn't actually do something in this world until a person does something. Show me your faith without actions, and I will show you my faith by my actions. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. (laughs) I love how he puts that. You believe in God, and that puts you on the same faith level as a demon. In other words, that is not the end of faith. Verse 20, you foolish person. Do you you want evidence that faith without actions is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? That's, if you think about that, a hectic statement right there. Abraham going up with his 12-year-old son and about to put a knife to kill his own son, believing in God's word. You see that his faith utter, sacrificial, absolute surrendered action to God, obedience to God. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did, when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without action is dead. So let me ask you a question here. Why is it that we speak or ask in prayer or think in terms of God will do something independent of us? In other words, why do we ask, Why, based on everything that we've just said, why is it that we're still asking God to do this thing out there? Or God, like, God's got to move this mountain for me. Why, why is that? And let me ask you this. If I, which is the case every single morning, want a cup of coffee when I wake up, and it literally is the case every single morning, um, what do I do with that? I get up, and I go, and I get the espresso thing, the is it, espresso or cappuccino, what do you call it? Yeah, espresso, and I get the grinds, and I put it in, and I put the water in, and I put all these things. Why? Because I'm absolutely confident that that is going to produce the coffee, right? If, I want, if I'm believing that something is the will of God, that, I, that there's a, something needs to budge in my life, or if I'm believing that there's this faith step that God's requiring, this next thing that he's leading me into, why do I ask God do that? The reality is he wants us to step up and say, God, what do you want me to do about this? How do I address this thing? So a couple points on what kind of can we do now. First of all, I would say if you feel like, man, I don't even know if I have faith. I, don't, I, I wouldn't even consider myself necessarily a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure if I'm convinced in Jesus. Or maybe I'm just like really weak faith. Like, you know what? Awesome. In fact, the admission of such a thing is, the, is kind of the beginning of Jesus being able to actually work in your life in that, in that area. If you want to grow, but you're like I'm not, I'm not even there. I got two things for you. One is the turning of the heart. Paul says in First Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians, chapter three, at the end of that verse, end of that chapter, he says, when the heart turns to the Lord, that a veil is lifted from our heart, and we're able to see Him. And it's in seeing Him, as we said earlier, that gives us faith. It's simply turning your heart in a place of prayer and and being vulnerable and real and saying, I, want, I don't even know if I believe you, but I want to, opening up an honest dialogue with him. Secondarily is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, like we said earlier. And I would say if you really want, if you're really wanting to grow and develop your faith, start reading scripture, but not out of duty, out of the desire to have your faith grow and asking God to speak through that. And if you desire help with that, feel free to talk to me because I've gone through a long journey of kind of you know, discovering what practices work and that kind of thing. Talk to me or talk to whoever, you know, that you have a relationship with here, whose whose faith you admire. A couple other thoughts. How many of you want to grow in your faith, by the way? Okay. Challenge to you, challenge to me this morning. Be specific. Be specific with our faith. So what I'm saying is that, as an example when david or the all the israelites were facing goliath david didn't say well you know god is with us and god is not with them so i mean i don't want to say how god's going to do it i mean god might want to blow a mighty wind and blow goliath off the hill or we can never know how god's going to move so we're just going to huddle together and we're going to pray about goliath guys and we're going and god's going to take him down and we we declare we declare that goliath you're going down Let's pray, guys. It's not what he did. He was incredibly specific to a point that some of you might actually accuse David of being presumptuous. How can you say that God is specifically going to do it that in that way? How can you say that? Because God loves when his kids get creative with their faith and partner with him and have the audacity to say, I'm a child of God and I can even declare, based on my knowing of what his will is, what should happen and trust for that to happen. Right. And here were David's words that he spoke to Goliath in 1 Samuel seventeen forty six: The Lord will deliver you into my hand, not at some point, today. And I will strike you and take your head, From you and give the bodies of the army of the Philistines to the birds of the air today. That's pretty specific language, is it not? That's not God is going to maybe cause your heart to stop beating when we pray. It was, well, that would be specific too. (laughs) But that would have nothing to do with any faith action required by me. David needed to walk up to Goliath, five stones in hand, absolute impossible odds. And know it's the will of God and be able to declare something to be and to be trusting for some specifics. And I want to say over us uh, this morning and over even myself, what is is God, what's the faith step? What's the thing that needs to budge? Can we put some specifics around what that needs to look like? And have the audacity because God loves audacious asking and knocking and seeking. He loves it. He loves it. When we say, this is the will of God, and I'm going to ask you for something that's impossible. Be specific. Secondly, a point about what it is that we're talking about, especially with the impossible faith steps that he's leading you into, what you have is going to be insufficient. Do it anyway, and do it with expectation. I'll say that again. When God leads you, what you have is going to be insufficient. Do it anyway, and do it with expectation. When David went up uh, to Goliath, what did he have? He had a sling and he had five stones. Goliath had a freaking armor bearer because his shield was so huge that somebody else had to hold it for him. And he had armor all over him and, and David had to have the impossible striking the forehead between an armored helmet to somehow knock this guy down dead. It was like a one in a million chance. It was insufficient for the task. People were trying to put somebody else's armor on David. David knew, this isn't me, it doesn't fit, it's not, It's not. this is, I've got, you know, I've, I've been used to the sling and the stone, I can, I can do that. Bad strategy, right? But it's what he had. And so every time, God, when we were called to come back to Detroit, back to America after being in South Africa, I can remember sitting down with a guy named Greg Garrett, he was a pastor. And he was the leader of the church that Anton and Ange cater, that couple that were, that were coming that we said earlier. I sat down with him because I felt like they were the ones that needed to transition the church. And I sat down with Greg, who was leading the church they were a part of, to say, here's what I'm sensing. God, I feel like God's calling us to Detroit. I feel like Anton and Ange in your church, I feel like they're the ones. And he was like, look, I, 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 I know they're supposed to lead a church. I didn't think the time was yet, but as you're talking, I just feel faith in my heart. I believe this is right. He said, what about you? Like, what do you, how do you how are you, how are you going to, how are you going to do this? And I'm like, uh, well, you know, we're just trusting God. He's like, okay, so what, you know, what kind of cash support, what, you know, uh, yeah, about that, um, (laughs) nothing. And I wasn't expecting anything, you know, from him whatsoever. And, uh, and he says, uh, well, let us at least pay, because Anton was going to come in in October of that year to transition to church. Let us pay him, continue to pay his salary October, November, December, so that Santon City Church can continue to pay you in your first three months of, of, uh, of moving, living in Detroit. And so that was kind of like the beginnings of God making clear. But what, my point is, when God called us to Detroit, there was zero, I don't even know if we had the five stones. Like, <laughs> Nothing, But it's in the step. Yeah. Taking steps as if it makes sense, when it doesn't. Right. You almost feel like you're faking it. Do you know what I'm saying? You take steps as if this thing is real, and then you start to discover it is real. Yeah. He just doesn't let you see it until the aftermath of, of the step of obedience. All right. So my point is, what he's going to lead you into is going to be insufficient, do it anyway, And do it with expectation. One more point. Thirdly, is be empowered and be loved. Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says this. After giving us the Great Commission, he says, And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And those are words that say, as you go on in my mission, I am with you. That's that's love language. I'm with you, so be empowered. Because right before that, he just said, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go therefore. Be empowered by the authority of the one who's with you and be loved. Mm -hmm. Because when you're on this faith journey and you're taking steps, it's requiring love of God from you because you're having to trust in him. And the only way to really trust somebody is if you know their love for you. Just receive it. Go ahead, do it. Do it. You're loved. You're like crazy loved as you go in, in, in obedience to him. He absolutely loves you and he loves people and this whole thing that he's calling us into is all about love and, and the craziness of him bringing you into his work so that other people can see him and also come into his work. Just go ahead and be loved and be empowered in that that he is with you. So what are some things, that, some things you can do practically right now? identify, if you haven't caught this already, let me just say it again, identify the specifics of what you feel God is giving you faith for. Minda has postcards, what do you call them, Um, note cards, index index cards, that she's written down specifics. Minda's gone before me with this, by the way. It's usually the way it happens, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, we're supposed to lead, but but sometimes the wife sees things first. And she's written down specific things that she feels God in this season is giving her to trust for. She's got them on her mirror in the bathroom. And uh, every morning she's praying over these things, trusting God for them. And it's been an awesome thing. Do the same thing. I've got a Google Doc that I've written down specifics this past week of things that I'm trusting specifically God for. And asking God, God, what do I do about this? What's the faith step that I do in this? So identify what they are. Ask God what the faith step is, and then do it. Cool. And I would say, as a, as a church, let's be heavily mindful of the things that we've been talking about all year of the five visionary points that we're wanting to um, we're wanting to. <laughs> you if you do have that slide, the five visionary points, that's cool. Um, the order of them is, is messing me up, but we're wanting we're wanting to um, develop the the spheres. Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries, Durfee Elementary Middle. We're wanting to develop those things that we're already working into, but we're also wanting to tap into new spheres of influence, reaching new people, reach people in business, reach people in politics, reach people in you know those sectors of the burgeoning kind of revitalizing Detroit. We're wanting to see an increase of uh, the miraculous and authentic moves of the Spirit of God, which we're beginning to see uh, in in wonderful ways, which I'm really encouraged by. Um, Thank you, Mindy. You're so awesome. We're wanting to um, have every member of Border City Church giving and receiving life-giving discipleship. That's what God's called us to, so we're wanting to see that. And then finally, a result of all of those things that I just mentioned is new followers of Jesus. People who aren't following Jesus today becoming a follower of Jesus. So let's begin to, let's not just like have this list. It's important to have this list. Let's be praying over these things, and let's be asking on a regular basis, not just God in your own little silo, your own little world, be a part of something bigger than yourself. And start trusting God. God, what does this look like for me? Asking him and taking steps. Shall we pray?